jasoncharles.net. Deep talk, talk, deep deep sounds. Hey, this is Evie Grieve. The following podcast is not affiliated with East Village Eye, the monthly magazine of popular and avant-garde culture that existed in print from May 1979 to January of 1987. However, if you'd like more information about this legendary downtown publication and for archives and exclusive merchandise, including East Village Eye t-shirts and accessories, go to eastvillageeye.com or printedmatter.org. This is the East Village Eye on jasoncharles.net. Hello, I'm E.B. Grieve, your guest host on the East Village Eye on jasoncharles.net. And I am here in the basement of the East Village Vintage Collective in the East Village, 545 East 12th Street between Avenue A and Avenue B specifically. And I'm with the proprietor of the store, Megan Hayward. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Well, Thank you. To our program. <laughs> Thank you Thank for you. letting us come into your wonderful store. My pleasure. It's great. Uh, we are just set up in the basement here. We have some awesome vintage clothing around us. I remember when the store opened, I have a evgrieve.com. I have uh-huh. a new site in East Village. Mm-hmm. And when the store opened in August of 2015, it was mm-hmm. like very cool. Okay. You know, did a post about it. And at the time, I recall it, this was sort of like a pop up shop. And mm-hmm. it was great and very excited. And then I remember a year later, hey, we're having a one-year anniversary, then two, and somewhere along the line of this pop-up idea now seems to be a full-time thing. It is a full-time thing. Yes, yes. It did begin as a pop-up for the first couple months, and then it was going well. And so we said, let's keep doing it. We meaning me. (laughs) (laughs) Me and my partner, me. Okay. Yeah. There were a few of us at the beginning, hence the name The Collective, and it just kind of was such a quick decision to to do it. We were all set up selling at markets around the city, and um, we said, let's just get together and do this and probably pay less rent actually renting a storefront rather than the costs that were going up at the markets. Um, You know, if we could do it all together, it could be more affordable. Anyways, that's what started it. And then when it became a time to go, oh, we might actually make a business out of this, you know, people started dropping like flies. I, but is that point then you started creating a business plan once it became uh... right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I like to do things, you know, yeah, backwards. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, you know being successful and continuing on, you just opened up an outpost of the East Village Vintage Collective in Jacksonville. I did. Yes, yes, yes. It's in a neighborhood called Murray Hill, which is a really cool kind of artsy neighborhood. My just brother like in New York lives there. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, honestly, like it it was refreshing to go down there, being from Florida originally, and. I love Jacksonville, but, you know, Florida is so big. It's like Jacksonville is kind of more considered the South. But if you're from Tampa, where I'm from, like, you're not from the South, (laughs) even though you are. So going and visiting my brother a lot in Jacksonville, and when he moved into this neighborhood in Murray Hill, we were like, you know, this is actually really cool. It's very artsy. There's a really neat community going on. And, you know, so he said, you should open up a store down the street from my house, and I'll run it. So it's kind of a weird parallel. Like, it's the Florida version of here where right. I live in the building, you know, of, of my store, he lives down the street. So it's I don't know, kind of a weird, weirdly similar 
That's actually how Dwayne Reed started there. Oh, <laughs> Dwayne was in Jacksonville <laughs> exactly. and Reed was in yeah, New York. It's a little known fact, <laughs> yeah. but uh, we'll talk about that later. Well, let's, uh, you know, I want to talk obviously more about the store and its evolution, but if we can just jump back a little bit, you mentioned that you're from Florida and you mentioned your brother. Can you talk a little bit about when you guys were kids? Is, you know, were you guys always going to like garage sales and flea markets and that type of thing? He was never really into it. He 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 played drums, and that was his focus. Um, my dad was very very into thrifting and garbage digging, should I say? Um, <laughs> but he was really into going to the flea markets and the thrift stores in Florida, which you know, I mean, treasures galore, especially at at that time. So it was really kind of my dad. I feel like that got me into doing that kind of stuff. But I do remember as a kid in the eighties. My parents, when I was younger, before I kind of got into it, which was kind of more as a as a young teenager, my parents had tons of cool furniture from the 40s and the 50s and really neat taste and really different. But I remember just being like, why can't we have a modern home? <laughs> you know, and like, of course, the modern homes of that time, I actually didn't like for a while after that, if that makes sense. And then now I like them again. Now I'm like, yeah, I get throw up a Nagel painting, super modern, like a neon. It's become cool to me again now. But there was about 25 years where it wasn't cool anymore. Now it's cool to me again. But I thought it wasn't cool that my parents had all that stuff in our house for a while. Now looking back on it, I'm like, wow, how unique And that was were very they? inspiring to you, mm-hmm. given your current uh, career. It's funny you said that because I'm, I'm thinking about my uncle, who was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and he would show up and, you know, he loved, wherever we were, we would go to a thrift store, and he spent like $2 for the suit he had on and the tie, everything right. combined. And I remember being a little embarrassed, like, geez, I was pretty young. I was probably 10. Like, right. Does Uncle Glenn really have to, you know, <laughs> wear that to dinner? But, uh, you know, I, it took a few years, but I really grew to appreciate that. And now I dress like that. Really and that's but, right. Exactly. But. It's like now I'm I, I feel like I'm kind of the same because they never pushed it on me, you know. So <laughs> then, you know, once you kind of got into the, the, the thrifting bug, you know, as you continued on, at what point did you think, you know what, I'm going to open up a thrift store sometime? I mean, when did that idea come about? Well, you know, I think that part of what continued me being interested in thrifting was my friend group music you know I mean music kind of became like the most important thing to me and like looking back on on that time period and my dad's a musician and my brother as well but my mom worked at the college and she would bring me home tapes and say you know oh this is the band you know Violet Femmes like this is what they're listening to at at the college or whatever and I started getting really into music which got me kind of more into um thrifting with my friends and I decided I was going to go to art school and this and that nothing was really sticking and I think more than anything it was just like I have to go to New York like I I I watched uh, Desperately Seeking Susan as a kid and was like I have to go to New York love saves the day you know the classic East Village vintage store that unfortunately is no longer in New York but still in New Hope um I was just like, I got to I gotta go there, you know. So I didn't know what I was exactly going to do here. But when I did eventually move here, I kind of said to myself, maybe I'll open a vintage store and bring stuff up from Florida and make it affordable. And and then I had about a 12 to 15-year uh, sidetrack moment. <laughs> and now well, here I am. <laughs> well, a quick sidebar about Desperately Seeking Susan, because I, I love that movie. I was mm-hmm. in college, I think, when it came out, but that's, I know so many people who are so inspired by that movie to want to move to New York. Mm-hmm. It's funny because you think maybe more like oh, Breakfast at Tiffany's or Taxi Driver, yeah. you know, yeah, Desperately <laughs> Seeking Susan. Well, anyway, I didn't want to, I could, we could keep, we do a whole program just oh, on Desperately I, Seeking Susan. 100%. Yes. Like, we'll, 
We'll do that for the next time. All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll come back. But so, okay, you had this 12 to 15-year sidebar. Um, mm-hmm. At what point, too, did the reality set in New York City rents? I mean, it sounds like you had this great vintage pipeline already in the works, but at what point did that become a reality, too? Well, I mean, I think that as soon as I moved here, I very quickly was like, there's no way I could open up a vintage store here. It's too expensive. Um, it's just not going to happen. And, you know, and I was still trying to figure out even what did I want to do with, with myself. So what ended up happening with the space I'm actually in, it was a bunch of different stuff right before me. It was a Hungarian bookstore, and he moved over to uh, 11th Street. Um, he was here for a long time. Japanese Tea House, I think, is who made it look like an actual store upstairs, but it was a shared office space for a while. Originally, I think it might have been a fish market Mm. is what I've been told, you know, in the 50s or something or 60s. But the storefront sat vacant for a couple years, which is what prompted me to ask if I could do the pop-up, but kind of got very lucky. And I've lived in my building for so long that I was able to say to the landlord, can I get in and do a pop-up? And then then when she, you know, it kind of went well for both of us, it was okay. I can maybe I can stick around. So signing few year leases here and there. But I think that that's one of the trickiest things about keeping it affordable. You know, it's hard to keep anything affordable in New York when the rents are so high. Exactly. Um, Just jumping back a little bit too. before, you know, I know you working in your career mm-hmm. and you also you started an online venture as well. Though, before I did. Leading up to. Yes, you know, the yes. I did. And I can say this now because I don't work there anymore. I, you know, was basically lucky enough to be able to kind of have been at my job for so long that I could get that up and running while I was still at my other job. And I actually still worked at my other job when I started the store here as well. But yes, my website was uh, Red's Vintage Threads. And I was like, I'm going to sell on vintage online and, you know, it's going to be great. And it's hard to sell vintage online. Because, um, you know, as many people, more people are doing that than have stores right now, but there's a lot of them out there. And with vintage being so unique and sizes having changed over the years, it's kind of, you can't go, oh, that vintage dress is a size eight. That's my size. Like, no, that's an eight in 1962. That's right. not the same as now. So it's kind of hard to sell it online. And the truth is, I mean, I wanted to have a store. I So it was just kind of breaking myself in. Slowly. Right. I, that's interesting. You say that about sizes, too. I remember I have some things in my vintage collection, like quadruple extra large, and I'm sort of offended. Like, wait, right? What? But, you know, that's just the idea. You know, this thing is... Oh, yeah. It's, it's I, actually a large, but, you know, that's it's the label says quadruple extra large. Right. I cut tags out sometimes because <laughs> I don't want people to feel that way. <laughs> well, and you also... Didn't you spend some time as well doing some... You know, there's like like the bust holiday fair in I different did. markets and whatnot around the around NYC. So you, you did that for a while too. I did, and you know, uh, and and even with the store being open, I would try to do uh, stuff like that as well because it's a kind of a good promotion. What I would find out is that often when I did those and I had my website, I didn't get as much of a of a following after the fact. But having the store and doing those markets, it's really really nice. But you know. Bust, Artist and Fleas, like all these different markets that happen. I mean, I particularly like Bust because I like Bust Magazine. I think right. it's an amazing magazine. But they're a really great place for people who want to get their handmade stuff or vintage, you know, or just try out having a business. Like they're, New York is so great with all the different markets that they have. So really, you can kind of do it. I mean, that's what I did. Um, I sold at Artist and Fleas for a while working at my other job every weekend. So I would work at my job 
during the week on the weekends and then also have my job at working at Artisan Fleas to kind of build up again. Then I kind of said, no, I'm going to have my own store. And I think that that's what happens. I've noticed that with a lot of people that regularly set up at those markets is that they end up being able to open up their own stores, which is great. Right. It's like a good test run, I suppose. It is. You, it you, is. You make sure you have those entrepreneurial skills and, and whatnot. But I also think it would be just a pain in the ass, too, all the time, like unloading and loading the it van is. and renting a van or whatever and, you know, living around East Village, you know, if you own happen to own something, you know, trying to find parking. Oh, or, yeah. That's a hard part, and that's why I ended up setting up at Artisan Fleas for a while because they would let you leave your stuff set up uh, during the week. But Speaking of that, one of the things that's really difficult is space. You know, we talk about rents, like right. just space. I mean, when I started my website, the way I ran it was I put everything into vacuum-sealed bags, and on top of the bags would be the SKU number of each item that was in the bag. And inevitably, every time something sold, as excited as, it, as I would be, because it didn't happen very often, <laughs> I would it would be the item that was, like, in the back of my bed in, like, the fifth vacuum sealed bag that I had to climb underneath and get everything out but there was I mean every crevice of my apartment had some kind of bag of vintage things like shoved into it <laughs> yeah I just as a person who used to go to a lot of thrift stores and living in New York City apartments I mean I just I love your store I just don't always come here because I'll walk out with 20 albums right. and four coats or <laughs> something you. and I just can't <laughs> yeah. you know I have to like cut myself off you know it's like hard going by a record store I'd never walk by Academy Records, which is just up the street, mm-hmm. you know, near First Avenue. I love that store. Me too. And I just, I just can't I fit know. one more thing into my apartment. So, mm-hmm. well, yeah. that's the joke that that I've always made is that I had enough stuff to open a store, and it really is kind of true. Like, I'm definitely not a hoarder. Like, there's a method to the madness. You don't walk into my apartment and like trip trip over everything. But I don't know. Especially with vintage, it's like. I'm the same way. Like if if I go into a place I and I see something that I love, it's like I might not see it again. Exactly. So that's the re- that the reason that you end up walking out with a few things. <laughs> you know, it's because it's like, well, when am I going to see this Ghostbusters thing or something? You know, whatever it might might be again. You don't right. see it. And and there's such an interesting. You know, everyone has their things that they feel really nostalgic about. So nine oh two one oh. Like I oh. just need to buy the peach pit yeah. so I can just set it up in my apartment. Yeah, exactly. Or nine oh two one oh twister. Exactly. I had that in here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've always had this fantasy about, you know, doing kind of what you're doing. I think mm-hmm. it was in the mid nineties. It seemed really appealing to me. So Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I love it. Okay. Well we're <laughs> gonna keep talking about that. I'm Evie Grieve. I'm guest hosting here on East Village Eye on JasonCharles.net. I'm talking with Megan Hayward and we're in the East Village Vintage Collective on East Twelfth Street in East Village, NYC, and we were talking about my dream of opening a vintage store. No, we're, uh, <laughs> we're talking about a lot of things, but um, I'm curious, talking about this mid-90s phase where, you know, I thought about opening a store. At the time, it seemed like there's this huge thrift culture, maybe because I was really involved with it, but can you talk a little bit about that in this 2019, what sort of, if there is a thrift culture and, and what that looks like? Yeah, and, you know, I think what's popping into my head when you're saying that is that I've loved the thrifting and the vintage my whole life pretty much but like right now for instance like I think teenagers and and college students are like really really into thrifting I think it's a mixture of wanting to be unique and I think that style has changed in the sense I think particularly because of social media like I think that it's I don't know be kind of become more acceptable to stand out complete opposite of how it was when I was younger and into thrifting. Um, we were definitely the freaks, we, they called us at school. And, um, you know, because we were wearing these things that were different. But now it seems more like the more different you are, 
the cooler you are. And I, I don't know if, again, I think it could be because of social media, but I'm constantly going, is this going to go out of style? Like, is there, but it seems like with vintage, there's always people that are into it, whether it's fashion designers. I mean, I think they get so much inspiration from vintage, you know, or it's younger people or, you know, and because it spans, you know, vintage spans over so many eras, you know, you have so many different groups of people that are into it, whether it's like, well, I'm into rockabilly style, so I'm looking for, you know, a a 50s dress or I'm into grunge, which is, uh, you know, vintage now. Oh, yes. Yeah, I spent some time in Seattle thrift stores in the day, you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> fighting over some flannel shirts. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, when I was young, like you talk about like the grunge time period, I think that it was just like a thing, like a culture, like you said. I, I look up back on that very fondly. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, like, I mean, going and even looking for T-shirts mm-hmm. and going like, this one's perfectly soft, you know, before they started remaking them already soft. Right. You know, like worn in or, you know, these things you'd be on the hunt for. It's so fun. Do you still, I mean, obviously you're running two businesses. Is it still fun for you to shop, go thrifting, if you happen to be some in a different city and go to a, their variation of Goodwill stores or oh, Salvation Army? Yeah. I love it. I feel like I've always, somehow it's worked. I'm not saying that every single item I have in my store is my favorite thing I've ever found, but I kind of just buy things that I like for the most part or that catch my eye, and somehow it seems to work out okay. So I'm not usually, I mean, you know, there are certain trends that you kind of go, oh, somebody would buy this, so I'll get it. But for the most part, I feel like I've kind of kept my shopping being just kind of picking up things that I that I like. So I still, I love, I mean, I love it. I mean, and then like, I'm so excited about having the store in Jacksonville for many reasons, but one of them is just to be able to go up and down the East Coast and stop at different places. And I've done that trip three times in the past, I think, three months. And um, at this last time, I stopped at this place in um, Petersburg, Virginia. Mm. And I mean, it was, it was this woman who's in her 60s, and she's been selling vintage since she was 19, she said. <laughs> and she was ready to chap, you yeah. know. And she just, like, took me through the her whole amazing three-story building that's, like, this beautiful old building. Then she owns the one next door. The second mom from uh, Aunt Viv from Fresh Prince just sold her her whole wardrobe oh, from the God. 80s. She has this whole level of a floor where she set up everything, like, the old department stores from the areas i mean she just collects 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 and i just thought let me look what's around this area i'll go check that out and then went in and it was just like the treasures that she had Mm. you know and and just i don't know talking to people that are interested in that you know it's it's always pretty cool to have that whether it's you know a lot of her stuff wasn't necessarily my cup of tea she didn't have any van halen t-shirts sitting around or anything um mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know sure. I, just to see this stuff and and preserved the way that she had it and to see somebody be really excited about it just so and she was dressed to the nine i mean she looked so good it was just really neat you know can we talk a little bit about the realities you know here on my blog and obviously other new york city media outlet talking about the high rents in new york and mm-hmm. you know that's it's so awful to own you know stores going out of business left and right even you know starbucks can't stay in business property taxes this and that mm-hmm. terrible landlords it sounds like obviously you're in an ideal situation with your landlord but just what are some of these realities of day-to-day being a store you know a yeah. owner in, in in the city well you know i think that the scariest thing is you don't ever know what's going to happen you know, sure, I have a good relationship going with my landlord right now, but I only have a, a three-year lease, and I think I have a year and a half or something left on it. 
so and then living in the building too it's like every time they're coming in and doing some kind of upgrade I'm like is my rent going to go up are they selling the building you know what's what's going to happen and you know no matter what kind of a relationship you have with your landlord you know it's business like they might sell the building you know and I and I've thought about that before well first of all I feel like I have a lot of space here for New York you mm-hmm. know you do I feel very lucky that I have this this much space. I don't know how stores survive when they have like a tiny storefront. That's probably why their stuff is priced a little bit higher. Because if you have twenty things in your store, you got to sell something for for more in order to make it work. I think that for me, the biggest thing is the unknown. You know, anything could change on a dime. There's really no way to prepare for it. Like I think about that a lot. Like I go, well, what would I do? Would I move? Would I close? Would I? you know, if my rent went up or the building got sold or something like that. And you just don't know. And I think that, I don't know, I feel like New York's, New York is like, make do, you find a way to make it work. Right. You know, you find a way to make it work. Is there any sort of a collegial atmosphere with other uh, store owners, other people who are maybe in similar, you know, thrifting uh, in the city, vintage clothers? Do you, do you, there's, there's some sort of like a bond among you? Just in general, I think in the neighborhood, there's a small business camaraderie. You know, we're part of Evima, um, the local merchants association, and everyone's really trying as hard as they can. And it's hard to put much time into it because everybody's small business owners, so they're always busy. But to try to, you know, keep the East Village more small business oriented. You know, I made this vintage map a while ago that I just kind of made and was like, I hope the other vintage stores are cool with this. I mean, I didn't really go around and ask. I just kind of made it because I want people to come to the East Village and still go to thrift stores and, and vintage stores. And I think that it used to be kind of known for for being that and it, it isn't as much anymore. But there still are so many cool uh, vintage Absolutely. stores around here, you know, and I feel like the East Village is the one neighborhood there's other great neighborhoods, but the one neighborhood that's really holding on to the character that made me want to move here. What kind of foot traffic do you get here? Obviously, they know about you. Maybe they see you on Instagram, but do you often get just good people? Oh, I just happen to be walking by and I see your store. You know, that does happen. This is definitely, this particular block is pretty quiet, you know, because we have, which is great for living on because we have a couple parks and, you know, it's just right. kind of not, not many businesses and we're, us being closer over to Avenue B, it's definitely the quieter side of the block, even on the quiet block. But, you know, I think, I mean, honestly, one of the things that's kind of changed it is Airbnb. I mean, there's more tourists kind of popping in, which wouldn't have used to have been the case because there's no hotels over here. Um, But because of Airbnb, we do get foot traffic from that. We get stylists, um, TV shows. uh, We just sold a bunch of stuff to uh, the Deuce, that TV show. We uh, The Americans used to come in a lot. So, Again, they they often don't don't know that we're here, but then when they find us, they do keep coming back. So um, Rue Saint Denis, which was right down the oh, street right. that just um, closed recently, like that was their main business. We were sad when they closed for many reasons, but it was also nice to have them there because they were so established. So often people would go, "What's this?" and kind of come in here on their way there and and find us that way too. But it's most of our customers are because we never do, have done really any kind of advertising. So most of our customers are people kind of just wandering in neighborhood people that do kind of keep coming back. What seems to be when people come into the store, what do people seem to be looking for? I guess flip side of that, what seems to be your best selling items? Well, you know, it goes through phases depending on what the trends are. Right now, jeans are really, really popular. Mm. So vintage Levi's, um, Wranglers and 
some of what they call mom jeans. <laughs> um, but then also like the 70s high-waisted flared are getting really popular again now too. So jeans are very, very popular. But it does, you know, go through its its phases. For a while it was like I couldn't keep flannels in the store. Then for, you know, a while it might be, you know, jean jackets, uh, patches. It changes all the time. But right now jeans are jeans really popular. Are what about mm-hmm. concert T-shirts? That's always something I was looking for, like the real – Authentic three-quarter length sleeve Loverboy concert T-shirt. Oh, I mean, that's yes, the I thing. have one of those. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's the kind of thing I'm always on the lookout for. I don't know how what, what's the market like for those these days. Well, I think it's interesting that you ask that because I collect concert T-shirts. The majority of them are just ones from concerts I've gone to myself. But I also am always on the lookout for those. And the thing about them these days are that they're very hard to find to sell affordably. Because they seem to be worth so much money, right. you know. So I, I, I get them when I can, right. but I don't want to have stuff that's super, super expensive. So I have concert shirts, but I don't have a ton of those, or I have a hard time not keeping them. And, you know, you're obviously doing well. You went from sort of a pop-up to a full-time mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the second location. I'm thinking to, like, Metropolis mm-hmm. on 3rd Avenue. He's moving to a huge space. I, mean, I he, know. He does good business. I I can't remember when it was. He had one of the Jenners, you know, I saw right. Instagram. So I, you know, I guess that's going back to what you were talking about earlier about mm-hmm. someone looking for that unique, something very mm-hmm. unique. I mean, they're a great vintage store, and it's it's amazing to see them thrive and go, go into a bigger space, and they, they give us all hope. Yes. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I mentioned social media and Instagram just real quick. You guys... Your Instagram account is very fun. You do, oh, thank you. You do some videos, uh, <laughs> but it seems like one of those two things that, you know, if you're a small business owner, it seems like obviously social media is a place you need to be. But uh, mm. I think for anyone looking for some tips and idea to sort of really humanize the store is go look at your Instagram account if you want to just, A, say what your Instagram account is, and we can kind of wrap things up that way. Sure. Um, Instagram is EV Vintage Collective. I was going to say .com, but that's not Instagram. <laughs> and our website is eastvillagevintagecollective.com. There you go. There's the dot yes, .com. Yes. <laughs> and uh, this is a great store. And it's very, we were Thank talking you. a little bit before we started recording about the pricing. I think, you know, I've been places where you look at this, you know, the Bushlight bowling shirt. It's real, the real thing. It's like $495, which, you know, I, I found in Columbus, Ohio for $3 or something. Sure. <laughs> and, and that's also, I think, uh, an appeal to the stores. You can find things reasonably priced. Thank you. We're trying to peg ourselves as affordable vintage. Yes, yes. I'm still mad. I think the last time I was here, you had this really cool Budweiser, a straw Budweiser hat. Oh, yeah. It was like the cowboy hat. And I tried mm-hmm. on it. It did not fit. It did I not just fit think you, I look yeah. really cool in Tompkins Square Park, <laughs> you know, walking around with that. So I'm... That, was a, that was a gem. <sighs> yeah. Oh, well. That's the one that got away. See, you know, yeah, just the too, what could have been. Exactly. That's what causes me to not be able to stop buying. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, Megan. Thank very you. much for hosting us here at the East Village Vintage Collective. Mm-hmm. I am Evie Grieve on the East Village Eye on jasoncharles.net. And thank you for listening. Thank you. You've been listening to the East Village Eye on jasoncharles.net. The previous podcast is not affiliated with East Village Eye, the monthly magazine of popular and avant-garde culture that existed in print from May 1979 to January of 1987. However, if you'd like more information about this legendary downtown publication and for archives and exclusive merchandise, including East Village Eye t-shirts and accessories, go to eastvillageeye.com or printedmatter.org.
To continue to follow the podcast with E.B. Grieve, please keep an eye out for Eye on the East Village from Spotify, Apple Podcast, and JasonCharles.net Podcast Network talk shows. JasonCharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.